0: So with all that being said, we're going to go ahead and open up in a word of prayer. Uh, hopefully you have your Bibles there on your lap, so you can turn them to Luke chapter 8. <clears throat> we're going to look at uh, the next portion in our study of the book of Luke. Uh, we'll be uh, honing our thinking down along the verses, uh, verses 22 through 39. And uh, we'll be covering that section here tonight. But before we get to that, let's go ahead and pray and thank the Lord for the opportunity we have to gather together. Father in heaven, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you that you have revealed yourself to us very clearly. We have clear propositions in the scriptures and we're so thankful for the assurance that we have that God, You, although you are not in, uh, absolutely knowable, uh, that you have revealed yourself and given us the things that we need to know about you and that those things will always eternally be true. And so as we look into your, your, the precious gift of your word tonight, we pray that you would stir our hearts and our thinking along uh, the proposition that you have uh, uh, given us to, to think about. Uh, and Lord, we, we think of those who are not uh, dealing, feeling well or, or are struggling with health concerns among us. Uh, Lord, you know how particularly difficult it is at this time. Uh, when family members can't be uh, in the presence of loved ones while they're at the hospital or getting treatments. And so, Lord, we we do pray for our dear sister, Georgia. We'd ask, Lord, that you would uh, strengthen and encourage her in her faith and assure her. And we pray for her dear husband, uh, that you would comfort him and that together they would grow in their understanding of the person and love of the Lord Jesus Christ. And pray for Marie uh, Williams and uh, we thank you, Lord, that she seems to be getting the necessary help she needs, and we pray that you'd continue to give doctors wisdom as she uh, works in relationship to this medication, and uh, please strengthen her body. And uh, I think, too, of Ron Major, Lord, would ask you would continue to allow him to progress and to be strengthened, and uh, we thank you for um, Jennifer, and would pray you'd continue to heal her as well. Uh, And then, Lord, we uh, think of uh, Sandy Coakley tonight. We pray that you would give the doctors wisdom as they uh, concern themselves with the question of the reoccurrence of cancer in her life. We pray that she would know the peace that passes understanding, that Jim and her, as they testify of your sovereignty in their life, uh, that they would find great comfort in that truth and partake of the divine nature through great and precious promises. And we just pray that you would restore Sandy to full health. We thank you for that. Lord, we commend our time to you, these dear saints to you. We pray that uh, this would be a a profitable time. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, well, hopefully you found your way to uh, the Gospel of Luke, Luke chapter 8. And we're going to start out here. I'm just going to read verses 22 through 39, and uh, then we'll begin to make some comments on it. uh, Comments that I believe the Lord's laid on my heart and hopefully are accurate uh, in relationship to what Luke is trying to share with us under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. So verse number 22. Now it came about on one of those days that he, that's Jesus, and his disciples got into a boat and he said to them, let us go over to the other side of the lake. And they launched out and as they were sailing along, he fell asleep, he being Jesus. And a f- fierce gale of wind descended upon the lake, and they began to be swamped, or, or the wa- take on water, and to be in danger. And they came to him and woke him up, saying, Master, Master, we are perishing. And being aroused, he rebuked the wind and the surging waves, and they stopped, and it became calm. And he said to them, that is his disciples in the boat there, Where is your faith? And they were fearful and amazed, saying to one another, Who then is this, that he commands even the winds and the water? And they obey him. And they sailed to the country of the Gerasenes, which is opposite Galilee. And when he had come out onto land, he was met by a certain man from the city who was possessed with demons. And who had not put on any clothing for a long time and was not living in a house, but in the tombs. And seeing Jesus, he cried out and fell before him and said in a loud voice, What do I have to do with you, Jesus, son of the most high God? I beg you, do not torment me. For he had been commanding the unclean spirit to come out of the man It had seized him many times, and he was bound with chains and shackles and kept under guard. And yet he would burst his fetters and be driven by the demon into the desert. And Jesus asked him, What is your name? And he said, Legion, for many demons had entered him. And they were entreating him not to command them to depart into the abyss. Now there was a herd of many swine feeding there on the mountain, And the demons entreated him to permit them to enter the swine. And he gave them permission. And the demons came out from the man and entered the swine. And the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. And when the herdsmen saw what had happened, they ran away and reported it in the city and out in the country. And the people went out to see what had happened. And they came to Jesus and found the man from whom the demons had gone out sitting down at the feet of Jesus clothed and in his right mind and they became frightened and those who had seen it reported to him to them how the man who was demon possessed had been made well and all the people of the country of the Gerasenes in the surrounding district asked Jesus to depart from them for they were gripped With great fear. And he got into a boat and returned. And the man from whom the demons had gone out was begging him that he might accompany him. But he sent him away, saying, Return to your house and describe what great things God has done for you. And he went away, proclaiming throughout the whole city what great things Jesus had done for him. You know, Luke's gospel, like John's gospel, has a very clear purpose in view. Uh, Hold your finger here and turn over to Luke chapter 1, and we'll just read verse number 4 here, where the purpose of Luke is spelled out very clearly. Speaking to Theophilus, he says, "...so that you might know the exact truth about the things you have been taught." You know, in the book of Acts, this is Luke's companion volume to his gospel account, his historical defense of the faith has a very broad scope. In the book of Acts, the scope is the whole of the Roman Empire. And his point, or one of his points, we would argue, is that Christianity is not a threat to the Roman Empire, Here in the gospel, though, Luke's apology or defense is on a more intimate and personal level. It can be said that fundamentally Luke's gospel is a message of assurance. Luke, as stated in chapter 1, verse number 4, Luke's desire is to clear up points of misunderstanding or misrepresentation for Theophilus. He wants Theophilus to know the exact truth about things he had been taught. Scholars have uh witnessed the truth that Luke is a historian. But he's not a historian who lives by the contemporary standards of history that's written today. Where we often hear or, or it's been uh, uh well verbiaged uh, With the idea, just the facts, please. Modern historians are interested more in a scientific method in terms of just facts and facts alone. Luke did not write in that tradition, but this does not mean that he is careless about facts. But it does mean that the facts are recorded not simply for their own sake, they are chosen and recorded as servants. And in this case, to the exactness of the truths that Theophilus was taught. Tonight, therefore, our interest must be exactness of truth. The goal is to clarify misunderstandings or misrepresentations that may exist in our own understanding of the gospel of Jesus Christ. To be exact, we could say the fact that the fact is that faith is of paramount interest to Jesus. Faith is of paramount interest to Jesus. You know, the idiom, don't miss the forest for the trees, can well be applied to our passage. This idiom warns that we may mistakenly not see the critical big truth because we are considering many of its potentially distracting parts. Although those parts are important, they ought not to receive equal weight as the critical big truth. In New Testament history books, like we have here in Luke... We limit this possibility of seeing of missing the forest for the trees. We limit it uh, uh, by focusing or understanding Luke's purpose in writing. We've already talked about that. And then more specifically, focusing on the hero's intentional dialogue, values, and interests. In our text, Jesus, of course, is our hero. The idea, to be exact, faith is of paramount interest to Jesus, is readily found in two simple statements made by Jesus. The first statement is formulated in a question, and we read it in verse 25. And he said to them, his disciples, where is your faith? Where is your faith? Given what just has happened in verses 22 through 24, Jesus' response here is truly a bit unexpected. The distracting trees are many, something beyond just mere miraculous has taken place. The text here takes on almost Narnian-like proportions. And what I mean like, I mean like C.S. Lewis's Narnia, this, this place where uh, the stories are worked out that are almost magical, where inanimate takes on animate realities. Uh, this particular passage seems to almost take on those Narnian-like proportions, Specifically, when Luke reports that Jesus rebukes the winds and raging waters. You know, uh, the word rebuke here is a good translation. It's an interesting word, but it reflects well the Greek word. It has the idea of commanding with the implication of a threat. It is as if the wind and water were animate creatures and Jesus, who normally would be just fine with violent winds and raging waters. I mean, our text makes that clear. I mean, he was asleep. He was sleeping right through it. But it seems to be that he lets the winds and waves have it. It is as if they should be embarrassed given the present company in the boat. They should know better, it would almost seem. From there, however, he turns, and it, is this, and it is here we find about which we must be exact. He asks those disciples, disciples, folks, where is your faith? You know, this is a, que- a question... That isn't directed to people who have very little knowledge of who Jesus is. It's not directed to people who we would consider have absolutely no interest in Jesus. Notice the text makes it very clear these are the disciples of Jesus. These are probably the would be apostles, later be conferred that apostolic authority. Right now, they are considered disciples. They were not many. We know these boats weren't extremely large that crossed the Sea of Galilee. Um, So these are disciples in the full flush of the observation of something absolutely beyond belief. So it's a question directed to disciples. It's a question that arises out of experience of great danger. We, We read that here. In the witness of the apostles themselves uh, of the disciples themselves, this this gale force wind descends upon the lake, which is not uncommon there in the Sea of Galilee, a very shallow lake, often given to these tempests. Um, but they report there they began to be swamped with water, and they were in great great danger, this question. Uh, Arises out of the experience of great danger. Their, their words are telling. We have here in our text this double address, master, master. It indicates in the Greek a very high, high emotion. They were about to die. And to die in perhaps one of the worst of ways. I I don't know if you uh, remember as a little kid with your buddies, I think... Uh, I, hung out a lot with Pastor Tim and uh, Pastor Mike Goldfuss, who's pastors across town. And uh, there were times at night when we were sleeping over each other's house and, you know, you get a little morbid. After perhaps watching a little bit too much Big Chuck and Little John, I, I don't know if you were, uh, remember that show, I don't know, maybe it's still going, I'm not sure, but it was on, I, I believe, uh, Friday nights, uh, late, late, and we would often be allowed to stay up, and it was usually some kind of a spooky, scary kind of a thing, and, and at times we'd get to be talking about, boy, what? Uh, you know, if I have to die, the one way I don't want to go is this way. And and, and I would often think well the worst way would be to to drown. I mean, I I remember try, trying to hold my breath. And and just sort of the explosive sense that one gets is comes to the end of that ability and and, and yet knowing that there is no air to be found anywhere. I just can't imagine that. And I'm sure this was going through the disciples' mind. And and if it wasn't uh, 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 true for themselves, they were about to die in the worst of ways, but they included Jesus, the God of the universe, in this fate. You see there in verse 24, Master, Master, we together collectively are perishing. They included Jesus in that concern. It's a question that arises out of the experience of great danger. And it's a question that indicates Jesus' interests. So Jesus, after dealing with the well-intentioned, amazing display of the wind and the waves for their king of kings, you know, that's one way to look at it. Maybe the winds and the waves got excited. Uh, because the, the creator of the universe was in their lake, in their purview, and they really wanted to put out an amazing, an amazing show. I don't know if many of you have dogs. I, I think of dogs in this light. You know, when, when you're sleeping there on the couch and the dog realizes you're not giving them enough attention, they, they usually will you know, put their wet nose right on your lips or, or, or whatever and sort of startle you. Or if you're just sitting there, you know, they'll, they'll put their muzzle under your hand because they wanted to be petted. I wonder sometimes if this isn't how the winds and the waves were, were thinking. They wanted to impress Jesus. Jesus uh, um, wanted, the winds and the waves wanted their creator's attention. Uh, But after dealing with the well-intentioned, perhaps well-intentioned winds and waves, Jesus removes all of the trees and he directs Theophilus' mind as well as these disciples' mind to what the true critical issue for Jesus always is when it comes to humanity. And it is the critical issue of their faith. Where is your faith? The winds and the waves get it. They knew who was in their boat. They were excited. But the disciples didn't fully understand who was in their boat. What was going on? You know, the question seemed to be a bit lost in the face of the miracle, doesn't it? Luke doesn't record any response to Jesus' question. It simply records an emotion. They were fearful and amazed. And instead of speaking directly to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, they, they began to kibitz among themselves, wondering what manner of man is this, who commands even the winds and the water. To obey him. You know, Luke observes this natural emotion, but he understands uh, the witness of Luke's gospel is that this natural emotion must or needs to give way to an intellectual assent concerning the authority and person. Specifically, the divinity of the Lord Jesus Christ. It must also ultimately ascend not only in their intellect, but in their will. These were the things that the winds and the waves clearly, clearly exemplified and needed to be true in the life of would be disciples of Jesus. You know, just by way of application to our first point here, if Theophilus and the culture who observed Jesus' ministry labored under real misunderstandings or misrepresentations and as a result could be left blindsided by those who would purposely seek to misrepresent Jesus, can I say, dear friend, so can we. You know, it is true throughout the history of the church, and particularly the early church, many charges were leveled by Rome against Christianity. So many actions and motives were falsely, we know, assigned to Jesus. Christianity was heralded to be a threat to the whole Roman way of life. Later, we know that Nero would blame Christianity for the burning of their glorious city, Rome, The culture to make such a claim was already growing in Luke's time. Luke writes as a historical apologist. Theophilus needed to understand that Christianity, to be exact, has a paramount interest in the question of where faith lies in each individual. So Christianity's fundamental interests were not sociopolitical with question to the disciples of Jesus. No, fundamentally, the question was where did their faith lie with reference to the authority and person of the Lord Jesus Christ? And that's an important question. That's an important question. Do we realize, like Jesus was encouraging the readers of the Gospel of Luke to realize, that the critical thing right now is to prepare our hearts for the kingdom, to repent and believe, and to pursue the assurances of faith. God has laid out so clearly for us in the rest of the New Testament. So the second statement, as we understand, if I can use the expression again, to be exact, faith is of paramount importance to Jesus. It's not formulated in a question. The second statement is formulated in the form of a command. And we read it in verse 39. Here Jesus commands the formerly demon-possessed man to return to your house and describe what great things God has done for you. Return to your home and tell. This command is obviously directed to a formerly demon-possessed man. Uh, If the trees were thick, In our previous paragraph, the trees get darkingly thick now due to the sheer drama of the event. Unlike the disciples, there is no question of the demoniac as to where its faith was. Jesus had no question for him or it. The fear for Legion was not if Jesus had the authority, but rather their fear was because Jesus, as God, has the authority. The titles Legion uses for Jesus are quite breathtaking, especially in contrast to the disciples who just saw Jesus rebuke winds and waves. The Legion fall at the feet of Jesus. Legion proclaims the truth that this historic figure, this Jesus of Nazareth, is in fact God himself. Jesus, the Son of the Most High God. They beg. They plead. Not to be what? Tortured. They knew their condition. They knew that the Most High God can do nothing but judge and fire and brimstone demonic horde that rebelled against him they knew that they in effect are begging for mercy They, they, they deserve something awful and they're begging for mercy they pleaded not to be tortured they begged not to be confined to the abyss They ask permission from the King of kings and the Lord of lords to be sent into a herd of swine. Jesus permits. And we'll find out why here in a minute. That's sort of an odd thing. Well, remember, to be exact, faith, in hu- humanity's faith, is always of paramount interest to Jesus so the pigs are going to serve as a purpose that's going to drive that reality if he assigns them to the abyss nobody's faith has really ever changed or challenged maybe other than the demoniac himself but Jesus has far greater interests to be exact So, the command uh, uh, the the pig keepers, uh, after the pigs rush down the hill, drown themselves in the sea, the pig keepers run to the town to report. The townspeople ask Jesus to leave. They too have the same essential emotional response as the disciples in the previous paragraph they are afraid. Jesus willingly leaves. He willingly leaves. So it's a command directed to a a, a formally, this command, return to your house and describe what great things God has done, this this is directed to a formally demon-possessed man. And and, and, and secondly, we want to notice here that it's a command that arises out of the experience of what? It's not out of the experience of being demon-possessed. The townspeople had gotten used to that. That was no real great new news. What's amazing is that this man is now seated at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind. You see, this is what... You know, when it comes to dear people of God, our realities we are so used to the dominion of sin and death and and demons and all you know I'm just saying that that you know we just kind of yeah okay that that is what it is <laughs> but a delight in a truth what shocks people is what's true of uh, if people were sitting here that, that there are people in the city of are who are sitting at the feet of Jesus who are not acting like the rest of the community acts who are in fact clothed and in their right mind this is what's amazing this is what's stunning and it is this it is the faith the challenge of faith that the, the reality of your life requires in your neighbors and in your community that Jesus is of, has paramount interest in. Demons? Eh, ah, they're neither here nor there. Winds and waves? Eh, ah, they're a little overzealous. They're trying to impress their creator. Jesus sleeps through that. you were trying to wake him up and say, Jesus, Jesus, here we are. No. Uh, what he's interested in is the faith, faith, faith. Certainly in the, this man individually, but I would argue in the faith of uh, the herdsmen, he's interested in the faith of the townspeople. So it's a command that arises out of the experience of being dressed and in, the right, and in a right mind. Jesus knows faith serves a purpose. It, it takes formerly miserable and unprofitable people, restores the image likeness of God in them, slowly over time, makes them profitable and encouraging faith in others. You know, it's a command that indicates Jesus' interest. We've sort of tipped our hand to this reality. We see here that the formerly demon-possessed man, he begs Jesus to go with him. Verse 38, But the man from whom the demons had gone out was begging him that he might accompany him, but he sent him away. Jesus sent him away! Well, what is motivating Jesus to send him away? What motivates Jesus to send him away? is what always motivates Jesus. It's the same motivation why he doesn't bring us directly into heaven the day we come to know him as Lord and Savior. It's because he has the faith of mankind always paramount in his mind. He wills that none should perish, but that all should come to faith. Jesus sent him away. Jesus' interest was presumably in the faith of the pig farmers and townspeople, who, by the way, had just sent him away. But there was a servant in shoes that could never be denied, a man they could never turn away, and that was this formerly demon-possessed man. Wow. A command that's obeyed in such a way that challenges the, you guessed it, (laughs) the faith, of the townspeople. Sermon and shoes. You remember that song? Do you know, O oh Christian, you're a sermon in shoes? Do you know, O oh Christian, you're a sermon and shoes? Jesus counts upon you to spread the gospel news, so live it and give it and show it and know it and teach it and preach it there's a fourth one i can't remember a sermon in shoes oh walk it and talk it nick's helping me here a sermon in shoes wow what a powerful sermon in shoes and you are a powerful sermon in shoes and you say well i wasn't formerly demon possessed but the truth of the matter is you are all kinds of uh unprofitable before you came to know Jesus as Lord and Savior. And you should be pursuing holiness. You should be pursuing the transformative character change in your life so that it will even more profoundly challenge the faith of those who don't know Jesus. Where are they putting their faith? Their faith is either in themselves, in governments, and whatever they can conjure up, family, Objects that were never meant to be a custodian to the faith of anybody. Only Jesus is worthy of that kind of faith, of worship. It's beautiful here. What is his testimony? I love, I love the simple statement that Luke records as the historian. He, w- he went away proclaiming. Uh, Jesus tells him to go, to go tell the townspeople or his own household assumingly he lived in that community uh, tell them what God had done for you and then Luke records that the man went away proclaiming throughout the whole city what great things Jesus had done for him you see the man got it the man got it he knew that Jesus is God and God is Jesus and what God does Jesus does and what Jesus does God does this is a stunning confession confession Jesus has the authority, divine authority, because he is God. The demoniac, the formerly demon-possessed man, got that and understood it, and his life demonstrated that authority of Jesus in his life. Jesus, now, (laughs) defined the the periods, if you will, in the life of this demoniac, formerly demoniac man, a demon-possessed man. Jesus was now ruler. Jesus has the authority of God himself to dictate the life of this man. So in conclusion tonight, I want to be exact. Our faith, my faith, your faith, the faith, of those who live in the Menner community is of paramount interest to Jesus. Let's not lose the force for the trees. Your life may feel like it is crowded with a thick undergrowth of trees. You wonder how in the world can I ever reach out? You know, it may be very difficult at times to see through them, but I want you to know this. Jesus always, and I want you to mark that down. This isn't hyperbole. Jesus always has the transformation of your faith. If you don't know him, your faith is put in other lesser things for your eternal destiny. He, either all, he always has an interest in transforming that faith, or if you do know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, growing your faith, and giving you the marks of full assurance. He always has this in view. The trees in your life, disciple, are intended by Jesus for you to ask personally, you know what, where is my faith today? I might be getting blindsided and overcome by all the trees and I've missed the forest today. Lord Jesus, forgive me. Help me tomorrow to wake anew and refresh to uh, the forest. To see there are lost souls all around, and to recognize that all these challenges in my life are to, in fact, grow my faith. I want to be more than just fearful and amazed. I, I want to—I want my life to be changed. I want to—I want to respond like the formerly demon-possessed man. I want Jesus to have full sway in the transformation of my character so that I can be the kind of sermon in shoes that he wants me to be. Although we may want to go with Jesus, I know many of us witness that reality or perhaps listening for the trumpet together, we want to go be with him. Jesus keeps reminding us to go back to our towns and challenge our friends and family with the question of their faith, specifically with, with respect to Jesus' authority to rule and reign in their life. Dear Grace Family, may the Lord help us as we seek to own this truth, to be exact, to be clear, that my faith is always paramount to Jesus. Lord bless you. Good night.